Welcome to the Percussion Studio Podcast. We will be visiting with various percussion performers, educators, manufacturers, and publishers. Stay tuned to K. Wiley Publications for future podcast interviews and more information. Now, welcome our host, Kenan Wiley, and this edition of the Percussion Studio Podcast. Welcome, everyone, back to another episode of the Percussion Studio Podcast. I'm Kenan Wiley, and we are glad you are here with us again today. Um, we want to remind you real quick before we get started that you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, any of those platforms. Just kind of uh, follow K. Wiley Publications for any future podcasts and information concerning our publications. That would be awesome. Love to have you send us a message or... I don't know, just tell us if you like what we're doing or not, and that would be awesome. And I think you're really going to like what we're doing today, because we have an awesome guest with us that's going to be talking to everybody today. This is, I've been waiting for this, and this time has come. We have one special guest. This, this gentleman is probably one of the most talented people that I personally know. Uh, he is just an amazing musician, percussionist, an awesome, just an awesome a, a, a musician all around. He is currently the, um, the principal timpanist with the Dallas Symphony Orchestra. Let's all welcome with a big hand Mr. Brian Jones to the podcast. Whoa. Thank you. Appreciate that, Kenny. Thank you. Good to be here. Hey, it's good to have you, Brian. So what are you doing with your summer? With the summer, well, usually uh, it's been, we've got some downtime. The Dallas Symphony uh, goes to Vail, and then we come back, and then there's nothing to do until the end of August. Um, but I, this summer is different for me. Um, the Seoul Philharmonic in Korea finds themselves without a principal timpanist, so they're... From here and there around the world, they're taking folks uh, to come out for a week and play. And I've got a former student from the University of Michigan who is in the section, the percussion section out there. And some a few months back, he said, would you mind coming out and playing for a week? And I I looked at the schedule, and we're talking the end of July. I thought, sure, (laughs) that's something to do. So we're going to play uh, Prokofiev's Love for Three Oranges, and then I sit out for a concerto, and then we'll do the Sibelius Second Symphony. Um, and I mentioned that to another former student of mine, a private student, he said, well, who's conducting? And I didn't recognize the name right away, decided to look it up, and he turns out he's the director of the uh, Sibelius Festival. And he's seen the appointment, so that'll be a fun time. Uh, after that, um, a friend of mine uh, finds himself unavailable in the side-looking in orchestra out in Japan, uh, Seiji Ozawa's uh, orchestra that he had, he's had going for uh, some, for decades now, um, that where he'll pick people to play uh, that he knows, and then if those folks can't show up, then we'll get to get recommend, go, go through recommendations. And my name came up... Uh, Seiji Ozawa, as he gets a little bit older, um, is now wanting to see a little bit more of uh, the director, the, the music director duties toward uh, Fabio Luisi, who is our incoming music director with the Dallas Symphony. And so that made that kind of perked up the uh, personnel manager's ears and and uh, and 
brain and said, well, why don't we get Brian to come out? And they knew I wasn't busy for August. Um, so, but, so now I'll be doing that from the 11th to the 25th of August. Uh, so, and the whole time I'll be <laughs> as much as I can with every spare minute practicing the symphony concerto that we're going to premiere with the orchestra. Well, it's going to be a world premiere uh, in November. So that's all. I'm kind of juggling a lot of plays. Play wow, yeah. Now. It's not much of a summer break for you. <laughs> Sounds like you're all over the place. <laughs> Wow, yeah, yeah. That, that's it's, very interesting. Yeah, we got to get more information about that. That you know, when it gets time for your uh, your world pr premiere performance, there, we want to make sure we get some information on that, and we'll definitely post that all over the place. Get a lot of a lot of people to listen to that. Be awesome. Yeah, yeah. Looking forward to it. It's 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 scary, but it's a good kind of scary. <laughs> uh, who's, for it. who's it written by? Uh, Steve Mackey. He is a really monster, uh, a monstrously good electric guitarist. Teaches composition at Princeton, and uh, I saw him do a duet in town here uh, at the Nasher Center with the drum set specialist with the Soul Percussion Group, and the two of them just blew the joint out for it must have almost an hour. And just nonstop playing, and I never got tired of what he was doing. His harmony is just through the roof. His imagination, his imagination is his ear for rhythm, his ear for melody, his ear for texture, uh, compositional um, ins and outs that just keep you spellbound to what he does. So I lucky. I, I, I called a friend um, originally. Uh, there's I, I have a friend who teaches orchestra rep at Northwestern University. He had been principal percussion in the Detroit Symphony when I was playing timpani there. He had a contemporary group going, and I would play as a guest with them. And one of the composers he tended to program, I got an ear for. So I called the publisher and said, would you mind having them write a concerto for us? As well, the compose the publisher said he's busy but there's another person in our stable who can't wait to write a piece and I said send it out <laughs> come on with it and boy did they, he found he uh, Mackey got word and uh, our to great to our administration's great credit they really seized on it and said nope let us take the ball from here we get we, you know how we do the money here in the orchestra. Just fill out the forms, and uh, we'll contact them. And they did. Uh, Peter Jordan is our, our equivalent of the uh, A and E person here in the orchestra. Got, uh, I'm sorry, A and R guy. That's what I should say. Um, just took the ball and ran with it. And then before I knew it, I had a concerto uh, in my inbox. <laughs> Wow! And so now I've been going to the hall once in a while, working on it. I've been having to travel a lot, so a lot of my practice has been mental. But uh, I've been able to get uh, start to get it together. And this is the piece that has me changing pitches like a bassist a lot of the times. It's got a lot of amazingly complex polyrhythmic things that you can't just 
read. I mean, you got to really be able to feel. You got to be practically a Vinny Kaliuta about the thing. <laughs> but <laughs> oh, do we do we yeah. reference well, Vinny Kaliuta? Everybody, do you, uh, you want to? Exp- well, we want to explain. If you don't know who he is, please uh, Google him. <laughs> <laughs> So, Brian, yeah, um, you know, there's some, uh, we have all kinds of listeners. I mean, we have, we have teachers, we have players, performers, educators. Um, you know, a lot of people, I think, perceive when you get an orchestra that, you know, you've reached the pinnacle of your, of your career and everything's great. And you know what? I don't have to practice anymore, man. I've got the gig. <laughs> I don't really have to practice anymore. I think, <laughs> I think I've got it. Can, what, what would you say? I mean, like, that's not true. I mean, obviously, you're having to shed that stuff constantly. Is that, is that not right? Right. Um, it, one thing, certainly, that helps inspire me um, is students. I'll get students that just are chomping at the bit to get better. And if you're around that, then and they play for you, and you, uh, if you want to fine-tune something they're doing, you've got to immediately just step in and say, well, I like that. That sounds pretty good. Maybe try it this way. And you can't just say it. you got to show them. So your skills can't slide there. Um, I get inspired by all sorts of things. Um, music directors come through who really pique your imagination. Uh, uh, guest conductors, um, uh, colleagues. You know, I'll hear a colleague warm up backstage and just be amazed, or hear, hear him playing something in a service, a show, either a rehearsal or a concert. And it'll, that, it doesn't matter what the instrument is. I'll just be, my goodness, what imagination. And I'll try to go in my practice room or in the percussion room at, at work and try to somehow um, replicate what they've done. Um, but, yeah, teaching does it, it helps keep me on my toes for sure. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way to look at it. I mean, it's it's interesting how how teaching does make you a better player because it inspires you because you hear, you're hearing these young people, I mean, just playing amazing. And <laughs> like you said, to, you, to stay with them, you have to, you have to keep on your craft. Otherwise they're going to just bypass you. <laughs> if you sit there and just kind of go, well, that sounded really good. Um, um, play something else, you know, you, you, like you said, you want to be able to demonstrate for them as well as, as learn from them at the same time. So, I, I I would agree with you totally on that. That's a great point. Um, what about your background? Can you can you tell us kind of when? I mean, obviously you started playing percussion. I'm sure when you were in middle school or high school, and then you went to college. Can you kind of walk us through maybe your entrance right before college and kind of where you went and who you studied with, and and then kind of how you got into the then the first step of of finding your way into the orchestral world. Sure, sure. Yeah, uh, beginner band percussion was led actually by a, a lady, a really kind-hearted lady who was an oboe player, mainly. But she could hold a pair of sticks, and she had good rhythm, and she had a really great way of inspiring us. She, it, her vocabulary was just peppered with uh, superlatives. It was she always talked in terms of superfine, as in superfine rhythm, and mega exact as you know. Don't miss any notes. It's not a shame if you do, but you learn. But it's superfine, mega exact, 
and uh, sing, sing it out, sing it out. And she was very non-judgmental with us. I thought that was really important. She was not a taskmaster type of person. And that way, um, I would say there were two or three of us in that class, beginner band percussion class. I think there were 24 who wanted to be in. We had to audition. Can you imitate what rhythm that the assistant conductor, assistant director at the uh, junior high is playing? Then, and so I noticed at the very end, can you sing a try, a triad up and down, which I found out the significance of later. Um, uh, so yeah, got to the beginning, beginner band, went to uh, next was seventh grade, and uh, then came immediately came region band auditions, and that meant symphony, and there the, the tri singing the triad came into focus. Oh, okay, these drums sing. There's an actual pitch to them. Takes a while to learn to get your ear used to where the uh, the fundamental of it is, but I, I did pretty quickly. Uh, and I have um, mom who sang alto in the church choir, so she, she always uh, would sing, walk around the house singing in harmony to whatever was on the radio. So that I, I did not realize at the time, but that was training my ear. It could be a little bit beyond what the average seventh, seventh grader had uh, at the time. So I over did a gratitude for that. Um, I practiced quite a bit. I'd go outside, run around, do something else, hang out with friends for a bit, and practice some more. Um, it's I, something just about playing drums and percussion uh, attracted me. Can't say exactly what it was um, I did like the fact that I felt like it was getting better at something and I was focusing on something and it tended to uh, feel rewarding uh, went on to high school and wouldn't you know it the head director in high school was a percussionist a drummer and he did everything he did classical he did drum set and he knew at least a little bit about Afro-Cuban and Afro-Brazilian percussion. And uh, so that, again, piqued my interest. Um, went to a band camp in, eighth, in actually sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, and that was local. That was uh, St. Houston State uh, University band camp. And I was encouraged the, after my, my ninth grade year that, you know what, there's another camp that you might want to go to um, up in, uh, in Michigan, this interlocking. And uh, my parents found out about it, and they were behind me going. And so they uh, scraped together the money for me to head out for a summer, for eight weeks, and uh, suddenly found myself what formerly was kind of a big fish in a small pond, and then, oh boy, was I exposed to some amazing players on all instruments and just almost overwhelmed. I had to, I remember having to go out to one of the lakes and just take some big breaths and uh, decide, you know, do you want to keep doing this or not? Because I would hear, I was placed somehow by luck, almost. I was in the top, I found myself in the World Youth Symphony after the initial audition to get in, but I was last chair 
And each week, you take a chair challenge, what they called it, to move up or have somebody move over you. Uh, and I just gradually moved up over time until I was uh, principal for a week, uh, just for one week. <laughs> Someone, the principal the rest of the time, uh, his name was Eric Oslin. His sister plays associate principal flute in the Boston Symphony. And he has another sister who played cello in a, a really good, uh, fairly well-known chamber music group. Comes from a super musical family. Um, and Eric has a genius IQ, ended up going to MIT as an aerospace engineering major. And I had somebody else in that section, younger than me, from Long Island, who graduated first in his class from Harvard in two different majors, and first in his class from Yale Law and Yale Medical School at the same time, immediately following the Harvard. That's the, those are the kind of guys I was hanging out with. So... And my instructor, uh, Eric Forster, said, listen, kid, you got good hands, but we got to work on your musicality. And that's basically what he did all summer. And I, I, he had some really good, I got to give him a lot of credit for grounding me in uh, telling musical stories uh, with an orchestral um, player's bent, I guess you could call it. Um, same time, I kept up drum set. Uh, went to North, arrived at North Texas. Okay, hold on. I want to I want to interrupt you for just a second. I'm sorry, but but, but <laughs> because I I want to ask a question here, because this is going to come up in a second, and people are going to go wait 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 wait. I'm I'm totally lost. So you, this, <laughs> this took you all. You know where I'm going with this. You took this all the way um, up to where you entered college. So um, you were about to go to North Texas, correct? Exactly. Exactly. And so now <clears throat> we're going to get into a, a, a quick, um, I know it's going to come up in the next couple of minutes. You're going to talk about how your your time and the one o'clock and stuff. Now, you have not mentioned that you play any other instruments besides percussion yet. So <laughs> you must have been, you were doing, a lot of people listen to the podcast going, what's he talking about? Well, a lot of people on this podcast don't know that Brian Jones, who is the timpanist for the Dallas Symphony, also plays more than one instrument. You also play trombone. Yeah, yeah. Very, actually, very well, the... actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, someone... There, there, uh, we had a interesting time. Uh, my friends and I, let's see how many, uh, four or five of us, decided to have a little slumber party, and they brought their instruments over. And fortunately, I had a two-story, we had a two-story house, and my parents were extremely patient, and brother were extremely patient, and they, we would, it, it, with the promise of not blasting too much, um, my trumpet-playing friend got his trumpet out, my trombone-playing friend got his trombone out, and I started tooting around a, a snare gun and maybe some bongos and a homemade cymbal, which amounted to be, I think it was a... Uh, a a, a toy globe uh, in the <laughs> earth with a stand. I just ripped the stand off and put it on a music stand and started beating on it. <laughs> but we decided to trade instruments just for fun. What you're never supposed to do. Forth. The band director says, never right. play, in a, <laughs> never play yeah. somebody else's instrument. <laughs> and I would just give them the caution about, you know, be, be, 
be easy with this and that, and here's what can go wrong. So, all right, all right, I'm good, I'm good. And I discovered I could get a sound, um, a trombone, I could buzz and get a sound. And the guy went, and my friend said, ooh, you know what, I got a book, here are the positions. And he taught me the harmonic series, and I just, somehow I just picked it up. When you're that age, you know, 14-year-olds 14, 14 can get stuff pretty quickly, um, especially when, 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 I don't know, it's like somebody hits you with a magic wand, and it sunk in. And then later, I, uh, somebody gave me their, their cornet, or, and my beginner band head director was, was a trumpet player. She said, oh, if you want to know uh, the valve, the, the, how valves work, how, here, let me show you a half step down, a whole step, a, step and a whole step and a half, blah, 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 all the way down. She showed me the valve series, which were equivalent to positions on a trombone. And I went, yeah, whatever. And they kind of filed <laughs> it away subconsciously. Somehow, during an algebra exam, I don't know how this happened, I spontaneously started to do a, a chromatic scale with valves with my hand. That's, I can't tell you how that happened. It just happened. She, and, and then I went, wait a minute. And I asked my head my high school director for a, uh, if I could borrow a cornet. And sure, we got one in the junk pile here. It's probably not going to see the light of day again, but it worked. And I took it home. He said, you can take it home. It's free. And I took it home, and I said, I can get a sound on a trumpet. Uh, when brass class came, I horn, French horn, no problem. Tuba, as long as I had enough air, um, that was fine. And then I can play euphonium. So I can actually play every brass instrument. It's just that trombone ended up in my hands the most. And I noticed um, that when I got to North Texas, uh, you know what? I'm probably not going to get in the lab band right away. I'm hearing <laughs> through the grapevine that it's so hard to get into even a reading band uh, as a drummer your first semester. That, you know what? Let me just audition on trombone. And I went in there and just stunk up the joint. I felt so sorry for the two trombone professors who had to hear me play. But somehow I ended up second trombone in the 8 o'clock band <laughs> first <laughs> semester. And that kind of encouraged me to keep with it, um, keep my ears open, and hear how the really good players are warming up, hear what they do, their long tone exercises, their uh, oh, and oh, this is, it was extremely, extremely important when I got to North Texas. I scheduled exactly no one o'clock classes so I could go here the one o'clock class and play. So, you know, you hear Dan Wojciechowski play, and it's just, once you, it hits you like a ton of bricks, like, well, oh my lord. Number one, can you do that? No. Number two, do you like that? Yes. Number three, you want to run out and imitate what he's doing? Yes. So that had a big influence on me. Um, I listened to lead trombone, Steve Weiss. I listened to how he paired with the lead trumpet player, Mike Williams. And we know how uh, those of you who follow those guys know how their careers went, uh, are going. Um, the saxophone section would just blow you away. And the whole, it's actually, Neil Slater stopped once. My my freshman year, he stopped the 
the band, well, they, the band got done with the tune. He said, guys, this is the first one o'clock I've had where people are calling me out of the blue. Uh, guys I've known for a long time, guys I've just met, and said, I can't believe the band. I can't believe how good these guys are playing. So I got lucky. You know, you and I were lucky that to hear enough that to hear that band at one of its peak periods, and uh, it just inspired me. Um, but I did notice. Now here's the the other side of the story. When I got to school to North Texas, I looked to the right of me and to the left of me, and to the left of me on the West Coast, Matt Chamberlain had come. Same time. And he could sit down at a set of drums and knock something out, and you go, what? What was? Do that again. And just without making it seem like he was just pumping up a lot, he'd do it again. And you, and I, Sean Chadroma and I, you know, Doc's oldest son, would just be laughing with pleasure at what Matt could knock out. And from my right, from the East Coast, was Earl Harvin. He showed up. He could do stuff with his right foot that I couldn't do with two hands. And <laughs> to myself, I'm thinking, are you, you know, practicing 10 hours a day for five years, like, are you going to be able to do that? I said, yeah, probably not. So I would say my learning curve with jazz and studio had to really, really go up quickly, like rock it up. And sometimes when that happens, um, it gets to be like, I don't know how many of our listeners have seen old Bugs Bunny cartoons, but Bugs Bunny uh, is zeroed in on one, and it looks like he's the roadrunner. And he turns to the viewer and says, actually, I can't run this fast. I'm just imitating the roadrunner. And when I started to get up to the lab man level higher and higher and higher, and I was working hard, I was I kind of had that feeling. Like I'm, it, it, it was me getting too, getting pretty good, but almost too quickly to have it sink in. So in my classical training and, and the way I was bringing myself up classically and in uh, symphonic uh, performance was more, I would say, a constant uh, arc. It was an even like a not such a dramatic arc upward. And that from, that made me feel a little bit more comfortable that I had been just steadily gaining expertise. Um, a lot of it was self-taught. Um, by the time I got to grad school, that then I had to make a decision. Do you want to go jazz and studio or do you want to go classical? And I just, it, it just, classical just felt more a little bit more logical to me. Um, and went to Aspen Music Festival as the Charlie Owen uh, Fellowship winner after um, undergrad at North Texas. And uh, I think at that point, it stuff started to feel like, yeah, I, I think I'm going more that way. Um, I auditioned to be in the big band, and I got runner-up to uh, on drum set to someone who played with um, the Marcellus dad all the time. And that that kind of started to tell me that, yeah, 
okay, if I'm if I'm the winner in the classical category and I'm the runner up to someone who plays with Ellis Marshalls all the time, um, okay, then my career's being painted a little more uh, toward the classical side. That's amazing, man. Uh, you know, I I remember just real quick. I wanted to mention this because I I still find this amazing to me, and I don't think I'll ever. I'll ever see this in my lifetime again. So we, me and Brian were in school at the same time, and I remember, I remember going to watch the one o'clock, and you were playing a drum set. And, it, and I came back the next semester, and I said, "Is Brian playing drums?" He goes, "No, he's not playing drums." And I was like, "Oh, he, somebody must have beat him out." So I went to go see the rehearsal, and Brian's playing trombone in the one o'clock. <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh my gosh!" I had to do a double take. I was like. That's that's Brian. He's playing trombone, and we all looked at each other like, "What's he plays trombone?" I mean, we were all gassed, man. I mean, like that's still. I, I I know all of our friends were still like we were doing double takes for the whole week. Everybody's like, "What? Like what's going on?" I, I've never seen him pull out a trombone before, and he's playing trombone in the one o'clock. I mean, there's some trum, there's some people that have been playing trombone all their life that can't get on the one o'clock or drum set all their life and can't get on the one o'clock. Uh, speaking right here, and y- you did both. <laughs> your style. I yeah. mean, that's really yeah. amazing, man. Really amazing. Yeah, I-, I was in the right place at the right time for those gigs. Um, the spring semester, oh boy. I mean, Chris Brown followed Chris's career. Um, Chris Brown came and just blew everybody out of the water with uh-huh. his drum set auditions. And okay, oh bummer me, but I was saved. And saying, I was just like, oh gosh, it would, wouldn't it be nice just to play in the band? Well, it turns out that the fifth trombone player heard me play um, in the basketball band, bass trombone. And basketball bands gigs, you can just crash and play <laughs> as long as the section doesn't say get out of here or the director. So I, I started to play uh, Chameleon, that uh, made in Ferguson soon. And they let you just honk away the, 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 Barry sax and the the bass part and the bass trombone part and I somehow I just I, I do remember I had a good day and the fifth, the fifth trombone player on the one o'clock was was hanging out he wasn't playing in the band he was just in the band and he <laughs> jerked his head around and saw who it was and that it's kind of equivalent to getting a gig via recommendation so he went <laughs> up to Neil after that and said okay I don't care how he played his audition. They're based on bone to okay, probably been aced out by Chris for the drum job. I mean, I I would love to have him as fourth trombone, and I saw my name up there on the board and went, oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing, <laughs> well, man. Yeah. Amazing. It just well, that's we amazing. him now with that, and he, he he didn't make the note that so neither one of us really. Counted trombone as our principal instrument. He's mainly a tubist, a tuba player, and I'm mainly a drummer. And now he makes his living on Broadway playing both tuba and bass trombone. Wow. <laughs> Amazing. So you get done with North Texas. Where'd you go next? Uh, Indiana University. Uh, I, I was attracted to the fact that the timpanist in the Philadelphia Orchestra uh, just retired and went to Indiana, went up to audition, and they offered me a really nice fellowship deal. Um, so I ended up going there, and I 
got to give Jerry Carlos a lot of credit for further uh, refining my ability to uh, just get ready to play in an orchestra. He, he, he concentrate on it. Just, it was always a matter of number one, trust your gut. You know, when you show up here for a job, look around. How big is the orchestra? That automatically tells you um, how much, how loud you're going to play for a lot of things uh, and with the types of sound that you're going to get. Um, number two, bury yourself in the score. Just really, really bury yourself in the score. And uh, I was lucky enough there also to land a job uh, the symphony job with the Terre Haute Symphony uh, during what has been since regarded as probably their uh, best funded couple of years they've ever had. And uh, the music director in that group um, was also a percussionist. In fact, he was um, unfortunately for him, well, he, he, he made the most of it. He ended up teaching, uh, being the Indiana University Orchard Director and the Terre Haute Symphony Orchard Director, but he was a percussionist in the Louisville uh, Orchestra. The music director in the Chicago Symphony heard the Louisville Orchestra recording and was amazed with the quality of a certain percussionist in that recording. He sent word down that he wanted to that percussionist to play for him and it happened to have been he didn't realize that that person had moved on and it was another person who got asked to audition instead and I won't say who it was but he so he got passed over for a chance to be in the Chicago Symphony which is I guess neither here nor there because he made a fine name for himself. Uh, but I, I really appreciated stuff he would say to me as a uh, music director in the Terre Haute Symphony. So I got lucky. Um, went to tangle with each one of those my summers in grad school. And uh, Will Hudgens uh, from Lufkin had just gotten uh, a percussion job in that section, in the Boston Symphony section which is kind of a mallet specialist job. And boy, he, he gave a, a, a couple of master classes that summer and he was still on fire because he had been taking auditions um, for several years up to that point. And he could just blow a barn door off its hinges with his playing. And he'd, he'd say, here's how I, here's how I go at this, here's how I go at that. And he said, when you played an audition, you got to pump yourself up a little bit. It's a little different than playing in an actual job situation. Just play big, play big, play big. Not nasty, not ugly, not exact, not overly exaggerated, but play big, play convincingly. And that had a really good effect on me. So I, I, Will Hudgens was a, a super influence, I, I felt, during my uh, master's. Uh, after that, I went to Temple University and studied with Mr. Abel. And, and boy, talk about refinement. Uh, he really got my snare drum chops together. Um, and, uh, and there was this attitude with Mr. Abel also. He's very 
time. And like a friend of mine who stayed with him also and who convinced me to audition for him said, uh, yeah, of all the people that will be your teacher, Mr. Abel will probably care about you the most. And that I think that I agree with him. And that just really bore itself out. His wife, Jan, uh, is also very, very, very nice. You, when you go in for lessons, it's like there's still a great deal of professional respect, but you almost feel like you're in with another mom and dad. You know, so you're relaxed. And you get this feeling from Mr. Abel, like, well, you know that you're going to get a job after this, right? I mean, he never comes out and says that. But the, the attitude in that basement of his is very, is, is reassuring. Even as he critiques you and says, well, it's not quite there. No, no, it's quite there. You, you don't get, you just stay very encouraged. So I, I, I give him a lot of credit also. Then after Temple, you, did, you, uh, did you come back to Texas for a little bit? Yeah, yeah, actually, um, and, uh, well, actually, after Temple, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, I got a call that my music, excuse me, the head director at my high school was getting, who was getting a doctoral degree at UNT, had to actually be up in residence and living in Benton for a year to to uh, get that DMA. So, and he was teaching percussion and two big bands and, uh, yeah, percussion and two big bands and was supervising the drum line, all that at Sam Houston State. And they said, uh, Brian, how about you get down there and look into that? And I was hired to uh, overlook, oversee, I would say, an awfully good big band and then a remedial big band. Um, so I put two different hats on for that, one for dealing with people who really kind of had it together and one for folks who really need some more spoon feeding. And because of my lab band experience, stuff was coming out of my mouth before it was, I was even aware that it was formed in my brain. Um, and um, percussion class to non-majors uh, made me put my thoughts together in a different way, and I had to overcome a little bit of a stage fright because there were a lot of people in that class. So I had to get my my speech chops together. Um, and, and drum lines, my goodness. Uh, the way you guys would come up with ideas and between you and John Wooden and Mike Colsar and the way that you guys wrote, I, that your licks just stuck in my head. And um, I could write things that I would hope worked. And the head, the director of the marching band came up to, would kind of, I mean, give you know, bless his heart, would come up to me and say, you know, good job, man. That, I think your, your writing's working. It's, it's working. And uh, so 
the North Texas drumline experience was that, again, it, because it was so implanted and so ever-present and so it done at such a high level. You know, we, we won the championship every year, and it wasn't – we did it because we liked it, you know, because it was there and because it, it makes you a better musician. Uh, my hands stayed in really, really good shape through school and after school because of what the drumline helped me help impart in me. And uh, so, you know, listening listening to you talk, I mean, I just from your experiences from when you were really young to all the way through schooling and stuff, you can I can hear that that um, the other other percussion instruments as well as wind instruments they kind of make you who you are they've they've just you've had such a total musical experience you know like you're just not in in one one lane you know what i'm saying like it's not just all about drum set or all about timpani but you are so well you know for the cliche well rounded that's probably an understatement for you but <laughs> you are extremely uh g- global in your in your musical awareness i mean you are you have so much um uh carryover from all these instruments and these experiences that i just you know i have to i mean i think one could assume that that's has a lot to do with 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 your overall just amazing musicianship is because of all these experiences you know and I guess that's what we try to tell students as educators is try to keep an open mind and try to get as much different experiences as you can on on different instruments and listen to different music and just by listening to you speak I can hear all that (laughs) and I can just hear all these experiences you know just kind of pouring out of your your conversation and um I mean, I, I would I would assume that that would be good advice. You think for for anybody studying music? <laughs> oh sure, yeah. I I think a good motto is just don't say no until you've checked it out. Um, I I had a student, uh, very, actually a very talented student who plays in uh, the the what you call the civic the junior level of the of Dallas Symphony, just the metro metro area uh, orchestra that, that uh, plays under the auspices of the ed- music education division of the Dallas Symphony. And he came up and asked me, he said, I'm going to go off to college um, as a percussion major. What do you recommend? And I said, what expose, leave yourself open to as many different types of percussion as you can. Uh, Expose yourself to as many different kinds of musical experiences as you can. (laughs) The tubas are in the Dallas Symphony, next to me, who had gone to Curtis Curtis Institute of Music, um, heard that and realizing what he has been through as a extremely specialized uh, musician. Yeah, number one to the number two classical, leaned over to the kid and said, listen to him. <laughs> 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 because I, I, I think he had been, made, he had to go through a little bit of worry before he landed a job in Jacksonville Orchestra and then over to Dallas. Uh, he 
he's a wonderful player, so I don't think he got too many doors shut in his face. But um, he told a good listen wow. to him. Well, and I, I certainly remember from North Texas. My goodness. I mean, you get all these different things. To listen to a, a gambling ensemble? I never heard of that. To get exposed to Afro-Cuban, Afro-Brazilian. Uh, now they have an Indian, South Indian professor, uh, African drumming, African professor. But where else are you going to find that? Um, yeah, just check it out. Uh, take what you can from it and what it enrich you. Even piano. I'm finding now a piano class. That just put me, oh, they're making me play piano. Uh, well, turns out the best way to be a classical tempanist uh, includes burying yourself in the score. Well, how do you bury yourself in the score? The best way to do it is to treat it like a, a top-notch conductor would, and that is to reduce the score at a piano. Now, you, it's very few and far between are going to be the people with the piano skills to look at that entire score, and that will certainly not up the tempo the first even ten times through uh, male everything. But boy, did I get better when I took a, a Strauss-Don Juan score, because you listen to the recording of Strauss-Don Juan, and it's, it's supposed to be a, to sound like a mess. Strauss wants it to sound like a mess, but well, excuse me, I've got a symphony card that I've got to know what where the beat is, and I've got a nail, and I conduct a recording leaves me up in the air a bit. But when I look at a score and sit down with it, maybe even a quarter tempo or slower, uh, and leave, leave the notes out that i got to leave out, but play something, uh, <laughs> then I start to learn things better. And I certainly taught it. Better, uh, gone on better after reducing the score of the piano. Yeah. So even I would say even keep your piano uh, skills above where it. I'm sorry, it's more time that you have to spend, but um, I'd say do it. I've got a couple of SMU students right now actually with good piano chops. I'm telling them you are don't look that gift horse in the mouth. Keep going. That's a, that's, a, scores with, at the piano. that's a great asset to have is some keyboard skills like that, no doubt. Well, hey, this is has nothing to do with keyboard skills. This is time for the offbeat, wacky question section. So I'm going to give you four <laughs> questions, and you're just going to answer them the best you can, Mr. Jones. Number one, okay. what's the name of the most recent movie you have seen? Ooh, let's see. Coco. Coco. Did you like that? Yeah. A lot. And <laughs> wouldn't we know what was what was one of the major factors in that movie? And I had no idea going in. I had no idea that music was such a big part of the plot of that movie. That's awesome. All right, number two. Yeah. What is the last concert you attended? Not one you played in, one you attended. Oh, thank Brian. Thank Brian. Thank Brian. Thank, thank, thank you. <laughs> I went to, I, you know what? Make sure it's not wrong. Oh, that was the North Texas Progression Recital. Awesome. Yeah, uh, must have been about a year ago. 
That's very snare, cool. Uh, the, the top top snare line just played like silk. And I heard I, I I detected nothing wrong. And then I heard that after they played, they were all um, nitpicking themselves to death. Ah, oh, shoot! <laughs> if I hadn't, oh darn! I know. But I mean, they were just unreal. Number three. Where is your favorite place to eat? Um, easy. It is just down the street from the Meyerson. It's uh, at One Arts Plaza. It's called Teon. It's a Japanese restaurant where they make their own soba noodles in-house. It's actually the owner does it, and he even will sacrifice his uh, hands and forearms to the point where he gets tendonitis <laughs> from doing it. That's you've got it, it, it. It's impossible to put in the words. The the sushi is better than any sushi you'll find. Uh, the noodles are unreal. You get all sorts of other dishes that you'll never uh, uh, imagine. And the the wait staff are trained beyond all belief. So it's, it's a great place to pay on. And he's not paying me to say this. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great endorsement there. All right. Who is your favorite sports team? Oh. Come on, you know. Comes and go- it comes and goes. I sure felt for the Rangers when they lost the World Series by a strike twice <laughs> when I first got here. But I tend to, I, I can't lie, I got to take, I tend to take the teams with me from the places I grew up or was in for a while. So I cannot get the Houston teams out of my head. When the Astros finally, finally won a World Series, it was, I was over the moon. When the Rockets, when I was in the New York Symphony, won two NBA championships in a row, I couldn't, I was just blown away. So, and, and so I, I will keep, in, uh, now that I've lived here, yeah, okay. The the Dallas teams, I'll, I'll let in. Mavericks <laughs> game, and oh, they lost in the, on the last shot. I think a couple of years ago, I went no to the person I was with. So yeah, they're creeping into my system. So you're a hometown, <laughs> you're a hometown hero favorite. Is what you want? I like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Well, you know what that is right there. That's the conclusion of another episode of the Percussion Studio Podcast. Once again, a huge thanks to our guest, Mr. Brian Jones, everybody. Also remember to stay tuned for uh, future information on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. If you guys want to check us out, just go to one of those spots. Until next time, stay safe.